We've been in the middle of a series in the Song of Solomon, and we're going to continue there today. We're going to wrap up chapter 3, cover chapter 4, and dive into one verse of chapter 5 today. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, we will be there in the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon was written as a song. It was sung in worship in uh, the Hebrew church. It was a song about love between a man and a woman that reminds us about this love that we have between us and God. Uh, it's a beautiful love song. It gets mushy, it gets good, and, uh, and yet it paints a beautiful picture for us of how much the Father loves us and how that he calls us and draws us to himself. And so as we move into this part today, it's going to be a little mushy, uh, it's going to be good, and, uh, and I think we're going to learn a whole lot about what love is and how that we give it and how that we receive it. Last week when we started in chapter 3, it was a, a kind of a parenthesis, if you will. The bride had been uh, summoned by the groom. She uh, had probably gone to bed the night before her wedding and had this nightmare dream that he was gone and she couldn't find him. But she searched until she found him and then she said, I'm going to hold on tight and never let him go. We pick up in chapter 3 today, and, and the groom is finally arriving, uh, and, and their wedding day has come. Their weddings were a little bit different than ours. The way that they did things back then uh, would be a whole lot different, really, than the way that we do things. In that day and time, a, a groom would come and find his bride. Uh, he, would, he would strike up a, a deal with her father, uh, and a bride price was paid. The groom would come and would agree with the father of what the bride was worth, and he would offer the father that that bride price in exchange for uh, his daughter's hand. Then the, the, the groom would leave, and he would go off and prepare a place for he and his bride to be. While he was gone preparing a place, she was to be busy preparing herself for marriage and for, uh, for that, that relationship that they would have together. Uh, when the time had come and everything was right, then he would return. And many times the grooms loved to show up at, at, the, at the midnight hour when they were unexpected and they would come through the town with this entourage and they would come uh, uh, banging on stuff and making loud noises and letting everybody know that they had arrived and they would show up and they would surprise their bride. They would snatch her up and would carry her off in a very romantic type way. And so uh, we find ourselves at that point in this relationship where they have, they have uh, promised themselves to each other. He has gone away to prepare a place for her and now he comes back. He is the king, remember? The king that found the, the farmhand for a wife. It's a beautiful picture of how God found us. And so as we look at this relationship, as it moves forward today, as their marriage comes together, their wedding day approaches uh, and is finally here and they consummate their marriage, it is a beautiful picture of God with his relationship with us. The Bible calls us the bride of Christ. In fact, when you read through the book of Revelation, we'll look at a verse at the very end today that talks about us being the bride of Christ and talks about us being invited to this marriage supper of the Lamb where we will be gathered with Christ and we will be his bride. But let's start here in chapter 3, verse 6. And, and, and she is uh, waking up from this dream, if you will, uh, so glad for that to be behind her. And she is now ready and waiting and watching for her groom. It says in verse 6, what is that coming up from the wilderness? It's like a column of smoke. So she's looking out over the horizon. It's a picture of a bride eagerly waiting and looking for her groom to come. 
It's a picture of how we are to live our lives, guys, as we anticipate the day that Jesus will return and take his bride home with, with them. So she's looking out over the horizon. She sees this column of smoke, and she can't quite figure out exactly what it is, but it's a sign of the king's entourage as it approaches, his royal entourage, as it makes its way through the, the hills and the valleys, and it stirs up the dust, and it makes its way to her. He says it's this column of smoke. It's perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, those expensive uh, uh, herbs and and, and, and and um, smells of that day, all fragrant with the powders of a merchant. So it's pleasing to her senses. She is watching and she is waiting. And he is finally coming, not by himself, but on this, this cloud of smoke, if you will, this, this entourage that travels with him, stirring up the dust. As he gets closer, she says in verse 7, Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. What in the world is a litter? It's the carriage. It's the, it could either be on wheels drawn by horses or it could be this, this thing that you would see like in a Disney movie where you've got the, the king and this entourage and guys carrying a pole and they're carrying him through the wilderness. He has arrived in this cart or in this carriage. And it says, around it are 60 mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel. So if, if you and I were trying to think of what this would be like in our day and time, it would be like the president arriving with the secret service surrounding him. They're, they are there. These mighty men of Israel are beside him. Verse 8, they are all wearing swords and experts in war. I don't know if your house carried it, but mine certainly did. The, the funeral of the Queen of England. Anybody see that? Clips of it? Okay. Well, you're blessed if you didn't. <laughs> no. It was all right. But you've got all these soldiers decked out in, 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 their, in their formals, and they are there, and they are escorting her, her, her coffin. In this case, they're escorting the king, and he's coming. And it's a picture of that they're dressed to the hilt. They're experts in war. They're able to protect. And, 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 and it's a picture of nothing, him not allowing anything to stand between him and his bride. Each of these men has their sword at their, at their thigh. And, and they're there to guard against terror by night. Just a parenthesis now. This is a picture that's also painted in the New Testament of Jesus returning. Remember what the Bible says? Jesus will return on the clouds. And he will come with him in great glory with the angels to claim his bride. Here's a picture of that even back in the Old Testament uh, as they wrote this song and they sang it in their worship. It's a picture of, of the Lord returning for his bride just as King Solomon came for his. Look at, look at this. While she is preparing to be his bride, he is preparing to come and to take her away. Verse 9, it says, King Solomon made himself a carriage from the wood of Lebanon, one of the most expensive woods of that day, one of the expensive forests of that day. He, he went and selected the wood. He made himself a carriage. You see him involved in the preparation as well as her. He made its post of silver, its back of gold, its seat of purple. He spared no expense for his bride. Nothing was too expensive. Only the best would do for her. Isn't that the way you guys do it for your wives? I, I did a wedding just the other day. And at the end of the wedding, the guy goes, uh, what do I owe you? And I'm like, what's she worth? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, it was funny when he asked me that. And I just I thought I laughed afterwards. And I said, you know, what do I owe you? you know? And I'm like, what? What a question. But, but here's the deal. He's saying she's worth it all. He's preparing this place for her. He's preparing this carriage for her to be swept away. It's, it's made of gold and silver and that royal purple of that day. Its interior was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. So maybe he didn't even trust his own judgment, but he brought some women alongside and said, look, let's make the inside of this the best that it can be. 
If this was a carriage that was going to pick you up and sweep you away, what would you want it to look like? What should I include on the inside? These plush provisions. He wants it to be pleasing for her. He's a man with an eye for the details to make sure that everything is just right. So she sees him coming. She sees this carriage that he has prepared. And then she says to the daughters of Zion, the the women of that town, go out and look upon King Solomon. Line the streets. Make it like a parade. Welcome him into this town. For he's wearing the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding. So we've got the, the picture here now that the day has finally arrived. So he's wearing the crown that his mother gave him to wear on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart, the happiest day of his life. So here's a picture of a king coming for his bride. He's not just coming in great glory and great fanfare, but he's coming with great joy to grab the one that his heart has set upon. He's coming for his bride, and his bride is ready, and she's waiting, and she's watching. It's a picture of how we are to live this life, to be preparing ourselves to get ready for the second coming of Christ. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus were to come back today, would you be ready? Have you got things in order? Are you ready and eager and anticipating and looking for the return of Christ? Sometimes if we're honest, we may not be there. We, we may be this girl in preparation, this bride in preparation, and, and she's, she would much rather enjoy her bubble bath <laughs> than to go away with, with the king. It, it doesn't make much sense when you think about it in those terms, but, but here it is. She's, he's coming for his bride, and she is ready, and she is waiting, and she is watching. And so we ought to be the same as we wait and we watch and we anticipate the coming of our king. Chapter 4. This, this scene shifts now. They, the king has taken her away. They've, they've gathered for this great wedding. They have had the wedding. They've probably exchanged their vows, and they find themselves now alone together in the bridal chamber. This is where the marriage is about to be consummated, and they are coming together to do that. I want, as we move through this, for you to, to picture in your mind a contrast between what we see in this chapter and what we see in Solomon's father, King David. Remember the story of King David and Bathsheba? Everybody's heard the story. David is out one night, late at night, and he's on his porch, and he looks over and he sees Bathsheba bathing. And David says, I see, I like, I want, go get her. And he brings Bathsheba and he takes her to be his wife. In this, we're going to see that in David's story, love was taken In this story, we see that love is given. It's a big difference. Love is not something that you can take. When you you try to take love, it no longer becomes love. It ceases to be love. But in this story, we're going to see a great contrast between Solomon and, and the way that he approaches his bride and the way that he saw his father or heard that his father had approached Bathsheba. David was trying to fulfill his own desires, his own lust. In this, we're going to see that Solomon is willing to put his wife's needs above his own. So there they are in their bridal chamber on their wedding night. Uh, you can imagine the nerves of her as she is, 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 is swept away and as they are approaching this time where their marriage will be consummated. It's a nervous time for her, but he is going to do everything in his power 
to make sure that it is the most wonderful night she's ever experienced. This is not some porn flick where you run through the doors and the clothes go flying and and, and it's just unfettered whatever. This is a man who knows how to love his bride, who knows how to care for her, who knows how to woo her and to assure her and to build her up so that she is then willing not to have something taken from her, but she is willing to give herself freely to him. So here they are behind closed doors. Listen to his words as he speaks to his bride. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Here, here's a picture. He is, that word behold, he's saying, Whoa, man, you are gorgeous. As the bride of the king, she would have been allowed to, to, to wear anything, to dress in any way that she wanted to. Every, there was no cost spared there. She was allowed to, to do that. Uh, and, and she dressed herself to the hilt. But here he doesn't address her clothing. He addresses her. He, he, he doesn't say, man, you look nice. He looks at her and says, you, you are beautiful. You are beautiful. He is the, she is the standard by which all other women are to be measured in his world. It's a groom that knows how to value his wife. She's not his old lady. She's, she's not just a, another girl. She is the standard by which he would measure every other woman. What he's saying to her is, there is not another woman in your class. There is not another woman who comes close he doesn't just rush to consummation. He, he wants to go slow. He's thinking more of her than he is of himself. And he realizes that she is more than just the sum of her body parts. He loves her for who she is. It's an unselfish, undying love that a man is to have for his wife. We are given the example of Jesus being our example as men, that we are to love our wives the way that Jesus loved the church. And Jesus came to us, and and he poured out his love for us. He demonstrated that love for us. And here, this man is doing that. He's starting not by by going straight for the consummation, but he's coming by, by, by saying to her, man, you are beautiful, my love. You are beautiful. He notices her eyes. He says, your eyes are doves. Now, guys, these may not be the best pickup lines that you've ever heard. But it's a song. It's poetry. He is painting a picture of, of, of what she looks like to him. And he says, your eyes are, are doves. They're, they're, I see peace and purity, gentleness and innocence. Reminds us of what Peter says, that, that, that a woman is to adorn herself not just with jewelry and clothing, but with that inner peace and that, that confidence that God gives to her. He says, your eyes are doves behind your veil, and the veil is is both hiding and enchanting at the same time. So he starts by assuring her of the depths of his love. He begins to work his way down as he sees her eyes, and he says, man, those eyes are at peace. She is at peace in his presence. Your hair, this is a good one, your hair is like a flock of goats. Leaping down the slopes of Gilead. What in the world? Guys, don't try this at home, okay? How many of you ladies would like it when your husband shows up and says, man, your hair looks like a goat? 
What's he saying? These goats would come over the hill. These goats of Gilead were known for their, their shiny black hair. Your black flowing hair, he says, is falling softly upon your shoulders. That's what he's trying to say to her. Your eyes are captivating. Your, your hair is flowing and gorgeous. Your teeth are like a, a flock of shornoos that have come up from the washing, all of which bear their twins. Not one of them has lost its young. What in the world is he saying? He's saying your teeth are bright and shiny. They're clean and fresh. And by the way, every tooth has a partner. There's none that are missing. He's noticing everything about her, isn't he? He is complimenting her. He's putting her at ease. He's letting her know that she is pleasing in his sight. Everything I've ever dreamed of, he says, this is, this is you. There's coming a day when we will stand before the Lord. And the Bible says that the church of Christ will be the bride of Christ and that we will have been made spotless and holy and perfect in his sight. I don't know if you struggle with that as much as I do, but I, I think, Lord, I'm anything but perfect and spotless and holy. And yet that's what he declares us to be. This woman was, was not the, the supermodel walking the runway. She was a field hand that his love is transforming and she is becoming, even in his sight, everything that he ever dreamed that she would be. He doesn't miss a thing. He affirms her. He appreciates her. He admires her. Some will say, well, he's just objectifying her. No, he's not. If he was just seeing her as an object, a thing, he would have rushed straight to consummation. But he is taking his time to put her at ease in his presence, to let her see in herself what he sees in her. Your eyes, your hair, your teeth. He goes on, verse 3, your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. Probably talking about her lipstick or whatever she had put on her face that day. It's, it's red, it's luscious. Some commentators say that they're probably embracing and, and kissing at this point, and he's talking about how much he loves her lips. Your cheeks are like halves of pomegranate behind your veil. Pomegranate was a deep purplish red color, and he's saying your cheeks are, are, are rosy, they are red. Maybe they're... the, 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 the the blood is beginning to flow and, and, and her cheeks are, are, are coloring up. Verse 4, your neck. This is another one, guys. I wouldn't try this at home. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone. And on it is hung a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. What in the world is he describing? This, he says your neck is, is stately. It's majestic. It's graceful. It reminds him of this Tower of David that... that, 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 that just kind of stood out in the crowd. Maybe he's trying to say your head and shoulders above all the rest. On it hangs this, 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 these thousand shields. Maybe this is a necklace that she's wearing that, that is there. She has carefully prepared every part of herself for him. 
See, that's what we're called to do is to prepare ourselves for our groom, Jesus, who's coming for us, to, to, to take the time and to, to pour into our, 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 our time and our, our, take the resources that he's given us to prepare ourselves to be a bride adorned for him. So here he is starting at the top, her eyes, her hair, her teeth, her lips, her mouth, her cheeks, her neck. Verse 5, he gets to her breast and he says, your two breasts are like two fawns. Twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. He's taking in all of her beauty. And this may make you uncomfortable to think, oh my gosh, the Bible is talking about a woman's breasts. Because sex is not a dirty thing. And our bodies are not dirty things when they're handled in God's way. Go back all the way to the Garden of Eden when God created Adam and Eve. They were there together, naked with no shame. This is a picture of of this love reflecting back on the Garden of Eden where they could be open and honest with each other. They could be transparent, even naked in their their midst. And he says, "These, these breasts are like two fawns. They're soft, attractive, tender, delicate. It's not a nasty statement. This was sung in worship in their church. But it's it's reflecting back on the Garden of Eden where they were there enjoying God's gift to each other. And he says in verse 6, Until the day breathes and the shadows flee. So he's picturing all night long what he's about to describe. Until the day breathes, till the the, the sun breaks through, the, the shadows flee. I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. He's saying to her, he's just complimented her, her breasts, and he's saying to her, I want to get lost in you. I'm captivated by your love. I, I want to spend the night lost in your love. I want to enjoy everything that you have prepared for me. He is, he is uh, expressing his desire for her and his delight in all that she is offering to him. I will go away. I'll get lost in love all night long. He says in verse 7, You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. As he looks at her, and he takes in everything that she has prepared for him, his response to her is this, You are altogether beautiful, my love. There's no flaw in you. You are perfect for me. You're perfect in my eyes. Everything that I wanted and so much more. What he is communicating to her is that she is worth the wait. They've waited a long, long time for this moment. And he's not rushing through it. He's taking his time and enjoying all that God has given to him through her. He sees her as perfect. Perfect in his eyes. The words of his heart are assuring her that her king is satisfied, that he loves her, that he is perfectly pleased with everything that she's offering. Again, when we stand before the Lord as a bride of Christ, he will see us as perfect. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of everything our King and our Savior, Jesus, has done. He has cleansed us. He has washed us. 
He has purified us. He has declared us holy and righteous. He has clothed us in the righteousness of Christ so that when the Father looks at us, He sees His Son who is perfect in every way. It's a beautiful picture of how God will see us on that day. And and so He says to His bride, you're altogether beautiful. There's no flaw in you. In verse 8, He calls her to come away. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. So having assured her of his love, he now calls her from the depths of his heart. He invites her to trust him with her whole being, to come with me, to come away. Don't hold back. Let's depart from the peak of Amana, uh, from the peak of Sinir and Hermon, from the den of lions, from the mountains of lepers. He's asking her to leave her, her past behind and to come and to be with him and to start a new life together with, her, with him. It's a, it's a picture of her leaving the, the peak of Amana, these, these other peaks of, of Sinir and Hermon, the, the, the homeland of where she was from, but also the danger in which she lived. Remember when she started this song, she talked about her dark skin and that her brothers had, had forced her into servitude and into to being a, 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 a farmhand on this, this, uh, in this vineyard that they grew and how that she was mistreated. He says, let's leave all that behind, the the danger, the death, your past. Leave it all behind and come with me. I will protect you. I will cherish your gift, your heart. You are safe with me. You can trust me, he says. My love comes with no limits. So as they move closer and closer to this moment, of consummation. He wants to assure her and to put her heart at rest to know that she is safe with him. He says, you can give yourself to me, your whole heart. You know why? Because he says, I've given myself to you. Look at the next verse, verse nine. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart. Why are you safe with me? Because I've given myself to you, he says. You've, you've captivated my heart. And then he calls her something that may sound strange, my sister. You're going, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is his wife, not his sister. What's the deal there? It's, it's his way of saying to her, you are my best friend. My best friend. It's always nice when you can marry your best friend. When you find somebody that you love, you find somebody that, 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 that is, is just perfect for you. You give them your heart. They become your best friend. She's his best friend, but also his bride. He's saying, your love has taken me captive. I'm a prisoner of love for life. What he's saying here is that he is all in. He's head over heels in love with her. And he knows it. And he wants her to know it as well. Let me ask you a question. Especially you guys. Guys, can you remember that moment? That moment. When you knew. You knew that she was it. That she was the one. Do you remember the moment when you, when you just knew? <laughs> I, I do. 
And that's a moment that I'll never forget. I can tell you where I was. I can tell you what we were doing. We were, it was 1986, around October this time of year. And, and we went to Galveston together. And we were riding the ferry across Galveston. And I remember as if it was yesterday, looking into Janet's eyes. And at that moment, as I looked into her eyes, I knew that she was it. It's the first big date that we'd even had. And I knew at that moment that she was it. He is saying to her, you're it for me. You're, you're it. With, you've captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. Your eyes are the windows to your soul, he's saying. And, and I saw into your soul and I knew that you were the one for me. He saw deep within her heart. He saw her character, her soul. He says, I've given you my heart, and now I'm asking you to give me yours as well. Maybe more important than remembering the moment when you knew about your spouse. Can you remember the moment when you knew that you wanted to give yourself to Jesus? Do you remember where you were? Do you remember what God was, was doing and how he was stirring your heart? Do you remember coming face to face with God and going, I want to give myself to you? Because that's the most important moment of your, your life. Do you remember that moment when you, when, you, when you gave yourself to Christ? When you knew that you wanted to be his forever? He says, you've captivated my heart given it to you with one glance of your eyes. Verse 10, how beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine? Wine that would be sweet, intoxicating, maybe even addictive. He's saying your love is even greater than that. Your, your, my love for her love for, for him uh, makes her gift that she's giving him even more beautiful in his eyes. How beautiful is your love? How, how much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice? Your lips drip nectar, my bride. You got some luscious lips there, he's saying. And honey and milk, the, the things that they dreamt of when they were in the desert, those, those things that were promised to them in the promised land. He says, your, your lips are dripping this nectar. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. She has not missed a thing. She is fully prepared to be his bride, and she has thought of everything. And, and she's thought of it, and now he has noticed it, and it's all coming together at this time. And then he says to her, A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. What, what is he saying? He is saying, you have saved yourself for me. The, the picture of the garden and the spring and the fountain is a, a picture of her giving herself to him. And he's saying, it's been locked up to this point. You have waited for me. You have saved yourself for me. You've been inaccessible to others. You've reserved yourself for me. And he is grateful for that. We are the bride of Christ. And we are called to save ourselves for our groom, for Jesus, aren't we? The truth of the matter is this, not one of us have saved ourselves like we should. 
Not one of us has given our heart solely to Jesus for all of our life. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus has come, and, and even though we have all fallen short, he has come to make us perfect. And that perfection comes through the work of our King as we are forgiven and cleansed and made holy. And as we come to Him and accept His invitation to be His bride, we reserve ourselves for Him. So it's a garden locked, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. And then He says, Your shoots are like an orchard of pomegranates with all the choicest fruits. There's tender growth that's appearing and budding. And you can see her love just budding out, if you will, is kind of what he's describing here. Everywhere he turns, there's a new bloom. And it's all the choicest fruits. She's giving him her very best. And he lists those spices and those, those, those things that would have been of great value in that day. Henna and nard and nard and saffron and calamus and cinnamon and frankincense and myrrh and, and aloes and And it's like a picture of paradise regained, filled with everything that one might want. And he says to her here, she is giving him his very best, the very best that she has to offer. He's describing this smorgasbord of delight as he takes his bride to be his own. So he spent all this time now moving slowly in the wedding chamber. And she is now ready to give him the key to the locked garden. And look what she says. He says this of her. He says, now she is a garden fountain. She saved herself, but not tonight. She's a garden fountain. She's a well of living water. And, and there are flowing streams from Lebanon. She's, she feels safe in his arms, secure in his love. And she hands him the key, if you will, to her heart. No longer locked, no longer sealed as it was in verse 12. Now she gives herself to him. And as she does, she puts words to that moment. And here's what she says in verse 16. Awake, O north wind, and come. O south wind, blow upon my garden and let its spices flow. She is giving herself away. She's asking the wind, if you would, to to blow across this garden of spices and to carry the smell of her love, if you would, to her lover. Let him know that I'm ready. Let Let him come and let him enjoy. Draw him in. Bring him close. She is signaling that she is ready to give herself completely to him. And in this moment, she gives herself to him. Freely offered and fully appreciated. How do you know that she gave herself to him? Look at this, the way she she words it. Awake and blow upon my garden. Let the spices flow. And then look at this. It's, it's, It's in the first part of the verse, it's my garden. But look what she says. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. She invites him to come to consummate the marriage at this point. He has not forced himself upon her. She has not forced herself upon him. They have taken it slow. They have expressed their love and their desire, and they have presented themselves to each other. And then she says, let him come. Her heart longs to be one with him. And then chapter 5, verse 1. He says, I came to my garden, 
my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spices. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. And I drank my wine with my milk. Nine different times he uses the word my. Not to express dominance, but to express his delight. I came, I gathered, I ate, I drank. She invites him to come, and he came. To eat the choicest fruits, and so he gathers them, he eats them, he drinks. She invites, she offers, he accepts, and he enjoys just as God intended for them to do. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, we looked at this several weeks ago, but she says, my beloved is mine and I am his. The two have become one. Yours is mine and mine is yours. And they are there together. This portion of the song is is a reminder of how God had loved his people Israel. How he had given them everything that they needed to make themselves radiant and spotless in his sight. He made them his bride. They were the envy of all nations. And he was patient and not pushy. All he wanted was for them to offer themselves fully to him. But they seldom did. And as they would sing this song at Passover, it was a reminder of how God had delivered them from Egypt. And how he had provided for everything that they needed for all those years. And how much he wanted to consummate that relationship with them. And yet they kept pulling back. This was a reminder to them of what it could have been. What it should have been. But the people of Israel loved the blessings more than the blesser. They preferred the bubble bath, if you would, to the marriage bed. They chose his gifts. But they rejected the giver. And if we're honest, many times we do the same with God. It's a reminder also to us. This is a reminder as we look at this couple's love and the way that they give themselves to each other. It's a picture of a greater love that God has for us. This picture of a husband and wife together is a picture of, of us in a spiritual relationship with God where God is calling us to, to come. And, and, and here's the neat thing is that, that he says, I came and I gathered, I ate and I drank. And then in, in your Bible, the second half of that verse may say others in parentheses. Somebody else now is speaking and, and, and there's, there's discussion over who this other person may be. Is it the, the crowd of, of Jewish girls that stand just outside the, the, the wedding chambers? I don't think so. The the words that are here seem to be spoken more poignant. Somebody else in the room with them as they consummate their marriage. Many scholars believe this is the words of God. As he is there in the room with them and as he cheers them on in their love for one another. Here's what it says. Eat, my friends, and drink and be drunk with love. Here is God speaking in approval, rejoicing in their love for one another, and God taking delight in their enjoyment of his gift that he created and gave to them. God rejoicing. It's a, it's a picture, guys, of this greater love, a, a, picture, a, a worldly picture, if you will, of an eternal love that God has for us. 
It's the love that he's bestowed upon us by by our Heavenly Father. This Father who rejoices greatly when we respond in this sweet abandonment, giving ourselves to our Savior and our King. And when we give ourselves fully and freely to him, he takes great delight. Just as in this bedroom scene, we respond to him because he has responded to us. We love because He first loved us. And our love is a response to His love. Our righteousness and our holiness and our spotlessness are all the results of His work and His provisions, not our own. So we are called to prepare and to wait and to watch. Guarding our heart, reserving it, if you will, locking it down for Him and for Him alone. And like this King who chose the most unlikely bride. God has chosen us, not because of anything in us, but because of his deep love for us. He has set his affections on us. He has provided everything we need to be that spotless, glorious bride as we stand before him one day. He promises to return in great glory. He promises to gather his bride to himself. And when he comes, the Bible says it's going to be a great day. And I just want to read you out of Revelation chapter 19, a couple verses. It's talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb, when the bride of Christ will be gathered and this great celebration will begin. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. And this is what they said. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted or given to her to be able to clothe herself with fine linen and bright and pure. That's the righteousness that comes from Christ. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this down, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. There's coming a day, guys, where Jesus will return and he will gather his bride. Those who are willing and ready and waiting and watching and who have given themselves freely to him. He is coming to gather us. And blessed, the Bible says, are those who are invited. Maybe today is the first day you really thought about being the bride of Christ and what that involves and what that would entail to, to be someone's bride, to be preparing yourself for, for that moment when you'll be brought before the king and the relationship will be sealed. We read in the Old Testament the story of Esther as she was getting ready to, to be the, the, the future queen. And it says that she was put through a year's worth of beauty treatments It's a time of preparation, getting her ready to come before her king. Even with Bathsheba, it says that she was put through a time of purification before she was brought before David. In this moment, this bride has taken her time to prepare herself and to make sure that she is everything that she could be for the man that she loved with all of her heart. Here's the good news of the gospel is that God has chosen you. God has chosen me.
to be the bride of Christ. He wants to clothe us in his robes of righteousness. And that happens as we come to him and ask for his forgiveness and ask for his cleansing. And as we are brought into this relationship with him, he clothes us with his righteousness. He prepares us for that day. He has loved us with an everlasting love. But here's the catch. That love has got to be given. He will not take as David took. He will wait for you to offer that love to him. God does not force himself on any of us. But he comes and he asks us to be his bride. He offers us all that we need to be spotless and perfect in his presence. But then he patiently waits for us to hand him the key to our heart. Just as Solomon took his time in the wedding chamber and, 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 and spoke the words of love and the reassuring words that, that he was hers and that she was his and that he would be there forever, delighting in her. God waits for us to respond. He waits for us to say, come and have me as your own. I don't know how we yawn at that kind of love. I don't know why we would wait and say, well, yeah, maybe one day I'll give myself to God. Why would we hesitate another second? Why not offer ourselves to him fully, completely, without hesitation right now? No one will ever love you more than Jesus loves you now. He has demonstrated that love again and again and again. And if you will listen close this morning, you will hear him. You will feel him tug at your heart and say, it's okay. It's safe. You can give yourself to me. Nobody could ever love you more. If you've never done that this morning, we're not talking about joining a church. That doesn't make you the bride of Christ. We're talking about giving your heart to the one who gave himself for you. If you've never done that today, today could be your day. Just to say to him, Lord, I want to be your bride and I want to be spotless, pleasing, satisfying in your sight. I give myself to you. I want to live every moment from this moment forward for your glory. And for your honor. That's what it means to be the bride of Christ. We've got to make that choice. You, you hold the key to your heart. And you've got to decide whether you're going to give that key to him. And let this relationship go to a whole other level. I pray today that you would. In fact, if you're considering doing that, I would love to talk with you today to help you understand more fully what that process looks like and what that means so that you can become the bride of Christ. So that when Jesus does come through the clouds, you will be ready, you'll be waiting, and you'll be watching for your king to come and to take you to the place that he's prepared for you. Let's pray.